Welcome everyone to this month's episode of Game in Hand. Today is February 11th at the time of recording, and if you haven't already guessed, this week's Game in Hand is Hogwarts Legacy. I have about 30 hours into the game, and it's taken me on a pretty typical open world adventure, but has so far won me over with attention to detail and kind of just overall faithfulness to the Harry Potter universe, including that one part of the story where frame rates drop. Let's start by saying, just kind of obligatory, there is going to be at least some minor spoiler when I talk about this game. I'm not going to try and talk about the story at all, mostly because I've been doing just the main quest to supplement my lack of ability to kind of trek throughout the world. So let's start by saying, I think the angry internet, maybe Reddit, maybe Twitter, who knows, did a little more than enough drumming up of interest in this game given how Harry Potter's author J.K. Rowling is now kind of well-known as an outspoken author with both the right to have an opinion and the burden of being so rich and tweeting openly that shit just hits the fan. She should really consider paying someone to ghostwrite or, who knows, at the very least, filter or be a little creative for her. Although, now that I've said that, I kind of know how things went quickly south with the Fantastic Beasts series, so maybe let's skip out on that. One thing is for certain, leave all of that baggage at the door, because Portkey Games just likes the wizarding and witching world. Not the drama, not the lifelong vendettas, just some fun gameplay. Hogwarts Legacy is quite the light-duty RPG. It, it really goes light on that RPG factor, but it does tell a story quite well. The one thing that drives me away from most barren open-world games is when people tag it as open-world in the genre and then compartmentalize dungeons and cities kind of just to like, what is it, to create parody, to create distance? The only game that I really think does kind of like barrenness well uh, is Elden Ring. Sorry to name drop, but uh, it is my example of, of how much design and care goes into making a complete world, not just plopping random quests on a world created before the game was even fully conceptualized. Hogwarts Legacy isn't bad, but it's not quite what I feel to be Elden Ring caliber. There's still open fields with some, air quote, puzzles overlapping some areas of interest. The areas of interest are unique, and I haven't quite felt a sense of copypasta being applied in most cases, but it isn't quite... maybe it's just too simplistic. Like, the only the only out-of-place thing in this entire game are the characters, which kind of have, like, a bit more downgraded, graphically cartoony look than I think I'd like, but judging how this game runs, maybe it was warranted. Puzzles so far are designed for children, uh, and the only really difficulty is having your brain stay engaged to do multiple walk 20 feet in a direction when there's no clear signs of what you're supposed to do in a puzzle. Let's start out, uh, I want to talk about combat specifically. It's not overly complicated, which I think keeps things like light and easy. It leans on uh, dodge and blocking as your active avoidance. Uh, it'll probably feel a lot similar to like Arkham or maybe like 
whatever Spider-Man Remastered. Uh, so to give you a sense of what happens is uh, you have Potter Sense, which is my lazy term for when you're about to be attacked. You either get a giant uh, quick time button icon over your head, uh, or you get the typical like waves slash like head tingle that you need to either dodge an unblockable attack uh, or try and block and then counter with a stupefy. Uh, there is like a second level to that block where you don't have to stupefy. Uh, you can work in some pretty cool things like uh, ancient throws, but we'll move on. On difficulties below hard, the modes are kind of insultingly easy. Like you get somewhere like five seconds to counter mobs. And when you're in a group fight, it feels like they rarely gang up on you. I've been playing on hard, and hard feels like the right difficulty. Every magical mob uh, is shielded. They have a variety of shields, so you gotta have a balanced spell wheel, or at least multiple spell wheels, so that you can break shields when, when needed. Or, I mean, you can just kind of throw rocks and barrels and anvils. It's kind of fun having just kind of a ground armory at your disposal just in case you want to throw a kitchen sink when you can't be bothered to wand an enemy because they aren't sundered to attacks yet. Stupefy was great early on, but as soon as shields got involved, it kind of tapered off uh, to the point where if they don't have a shield up, uh, I spec'd into Stupefy doing damage because if we weren't used to just stun, now I kind of only use it to apply uh, unnamed debuffs that I won't tell you about. Uh, since it won't land unless you're already targeting an unshielded mob or beast. I guess beasts might be a little bit easier. Some fights are kind of lengthened by reinforcements randomly evaporating into the fight, and while they are fun, sometimes just it overstays their welcome. I think it kind of brings into a whole don't use all your resources to kill three mobs when the fight is seven mobs long, but they do tend to pop up behind you, which does keep things at least a little interesting. Speaking of mobs popping up behind you, uh, in terms of targeting and like looking around and finding mobs, I think targeting needs some time, love, and care by the uh, dev team. First situation where I realized targeting sucked was the last stage of like a kind of practice arena while you're still in the school. And that's when I realized that like the lock-on for targeting is janky. The lock-on range is deceivingly short, and cycling through mobs can be out of order, uh, and sometimes you won't catch mobs uh, closer to the edge of the screen. Uh, it's a little bit annoying because it does take... because your character kind of focuses on whatever's in the center of your screen or, or wherever you're pointing, and they don't, like, light up. At least they don't light up on hard to show that you're going to be attacking a different target or maybe wanding something with a shield who's gonna stupefy you back. I don't see why you shouldn't be able to lock onto targets like 20 feet away if they are already in wand range in the first place. Uh, what else can we talk about? Uh, flying, being on a broom, uh, is fine. It's not the best, but I mean, it's, it's fun, it works. And it's not just a, uh, a quick travel mechanic, which is kind of funny. I, I was expecting flying to be the quick travel mechanic. I think it probably does make the game a little more casual friendly. I feel like I'm going to go back to like casual friendly this entire time. Because flying, and maybe even fast traveling, does kind of like detract away from 
trekking from point to point and following paths, uh, you do want to hit every area of interest because each of these areas will have chests. It's not just armor and gold and loot. Uh, you can find trait upgrades as well, which uh, become pretty huge as you progress further through the game. So as kind of like my happy medium to make sure that I'm not missing anything too substantial, I kind of just low hover along the ground on my broom just to make sure that I can run into unexplored areas if I'm not making a, a beeline to the, the coolest looking castle or like a neat looking building or cave. Since we're talking about running around and collecting stuff, uh, item collection and crafting in this game uh, is pretty smart. Again, it, it tends to be on the casual slash simple side, but eventually you get to a point in the game where you'll have your own uh, horticulture station, potion making station. You can have machines that randomly will give you an item, but not all consumables that you can get in this game are 100% farmable in your crafting area. Some materials you either have to buy from vendors uh, or seek them out in their usual spots. Leeches are always found on the beaches next to like bodies of water. Uh, healing potions, they require dittany, which you can farm manually, uh, and something called horklump juice. The horklump plants or whatever, uh, they're commonly found near entrances to like dungeons and caves. So as long as you're running past the entrances to this place, it'll be fine. The more I talk about this, the more I kind of remember all of the bait videos that are just like, well, you can probably just buy it from the town vendor. It's just so much quicker that way. Uh, and forget that you have such a limited quantity before they need to restock that it's not optimal, I would say. Especially if you're playing the game on hard, uh, some of like the multiple wave fights, I think I burned through maybe like 10 potions at a time. Maybe those guides are playing it on normal or easy, but I would just say, just get into a habit of looking for icons on your minimap. Well, we can talk about having like a minimap, like it does take having explored the map a fair bit, uh, even just around like Hogwarts Castle before you can efficiently farm. The one thing that sucks about farming <laughs> is the minimap, uh, and I'm not gonna lie, when I started playing 10 minutes into the game, I liked the Hogwarts Castle so much, uh, I turned off my minimap. Uh, I kind of just let myself enjoy being lost, being able to explore, not letting icons and dots tell me what to do and where to go. I did follow whatever the, the snitch or the book trail, the golden trail, uh, to get to places, but anytime I wanted to get anywhere, I would open up my map, set the course, and then just kind of explore on the way there. I played like that for probably the first 12 hours of the game. After, though, it got kind of tiring opening the map every time I needed to do anything. You know, okay, well, you want to find spider dens, you want to find graveyards, you want to find whatever dark wizard battles areas, whatever, beast areas, eventually I just turned them all back on. It, uh, it did kind of take away from my enjoyment of exploring the game, uh, but I found that the game just got so simplistic and kind of very specific in the way that it wanted you to do things, uh, I just felt it was a better use of my time. And it kind of makes me wonder why uh, a lot of reviews, I think it was uh, skill-ups, 
brother who got to play the game or something uh and he said yeah he, he blitzed through the story in like 18 hours and kind of yeah once i turned the minimap on once i made sure that i was darting towards basically every single main quest or quest that unlocks skills uh once you find that you're not just like purpose hunting yeah you can blitz through the game uh it's just it feels like a different way to play uh, I could easily farm like a side area, uh, actually see where enemies are when I had the minimap on without Potter Scent, uh, and it was a lot less of a uh, like spider web tangle of like a path that you want to take. It's like sure there's going to be like some consistency, but maybe you want to go all the way to the left, all the way to the right. Maybe you'll have to backtrack a bit. Once I turned on the minimap. I felt like it really narrowed out my exploration when going to quests. Uh, once you get flying, that's probably the inevitable outcome, but it just reminds me why open world games need to be played kind of at whatever pace you desire. I think it's good that those options are available for everyone, uh, and especially if you're trying to stretch this game out for a month, absolutely turn off the minimap. You can, it's a little bit annoying using the map for everything, but you don't get sidetracked by like simple icons the last point i want to make is of course the uh, performance will always leave the best content to last i guess uh, this game does not like older computers and high settings uh, and i'm thinking everyone's probably going to be waiting until they get closer to the ps4 xbox one or <laughs> realistically the nintendo switch release before we see some better optimization it feels like it's a toss-up, just in my opinion, between kind of like half-assed shader compilation, compiling. Uh, it's kind of weird when you go into like heavily heavy areas in the castle and suddenly you're bogged down by rapid loading and unloading. Uh, especially when moving around, like just spinning in a circle sometimes will lose me like 20 FPS versus just running straight. Uh, and of course, every the internet's personal favorite. Uh, ray tracing performance being a complete afterthought in the game. I can understand why some people are kind of seething at how the game stumbles over itself, and realistically, if you aren't rocking the equivalent of like a 6800 XT or an RTX 3080, I would honestly just say put your settings on medium, uh, maybe downscale the resolution scaling a bit, uh, and just literally just enjoy the game until Portkey figures out uh, which fork they jammed in the toaster. I ended up buying a 7900 XT because it was obtainable or a performance level that suits my computer before I have to do kind of a next-gen upgrade. And it allows me to do 1440p at 120 FPS fairly consistently on Ultra with ray tracing off. Unless I'm walking through like a big hall in Hogwarts or the first town. Uh, well, okay, whatever. Since I've, you've been listening this long, you've probably already read the spoilers. The first town is called Hogsmeade. I don't think that's going to be a huge surprise because I'm not going to tell you what's in the town, so maybe it's not a surprise. Hogsmeade is more demanding than the first main hall of Hogwarts. So when you first load into the zone, it's not uncommon for my PC anyways to double take and bow over falling to 60 fps there's a lot of weird other things like foliage 
uh, pops in as white, and then it takes until I'm like completely up to it before it turns green. It's super weird, and it's not unusual after seeing like these big 60 FPS dips to resettle back around like 90 to 100 FPS. I kind of alluded to it earlier, but like you can do some things like drop render resolution instead of relying on things like DLSS and FSR, which keeps the visuals actually quite decent. Uh, the dips still exist, but instead of getting like 60 FPS dips, it might only go down to like 70 or 80, but it keeps my regular gameplay, even in like busy areas, closer to the triple digits of FPS in almost all areas. But when you see those dips, like they're huge, they're noticeable. And it feels like we're missing a low bandwidth streaming option to stop the game from just kind of robbing your PC of all available resources. If you have less than a 6800 XT or 3080, or I mean like, maybe you really want to churn on ray tracing uh, and <laughs> go above 1080p, we did get a uh, kind of like a 300 megabyte day one patch um, I, I don't think, just judging by the way that the community responded, the day one patch probably fixed some of the crashes, but it doesn't fix ray tracing, it doesn't fix low PC performance. Um, I don't think the plummets were as bad as pre-launch compared to day one, but it also might be that I've just kind of settled and moved out of this, the big performance hit areas. But I mean, you can go on Reddit and see for yourself. People were complaining that they were hitting single digit FPS with ray tracing on. But at the end of the day, I mean, games are always released like this. There's always going to be day one problems. This stuff is kind of just the norm. And I'm not justifying it. I'm just kind of saying that you bought the game, you might as well wait until it's optimized. It does suck for that kind of first impression playthrough, but... I don't know. I think we're just going to sit here and complain because people are still pre-ordering. I'm still pre-ordering. Stupid me. I did get to play the game on my Steam Deck. Uh, it's kind of like my go-to when I don't want to sit on my desk. Uh, we got shader caches on, I think it was February 10th, and it's kind of the same story. I find more often than not, the Steam Deck can run uh, Hogwarts Legacy without topping out at 40 FPS. Uh, but as soon as you get into Hogsmeade or start wandering around Hogsworth, man, I didn't realize how much of a tongue twister that is. It'll go, oh, what's this? We're loading an entire area. Let me just share your CPU resources the same way Windows updates do. And you know how Windows updates shares resources. It's like, okay, well, here comes the Windows update. Give me all the resources now. Double digit FPS. For those of you wondering, uh, I did buy the special edition for the three-day head start plus the Dark Arts DLC. I think I was a little more high on Dark Arts DLC just based on the hints that they made that you can do all of the super bad curses without any adverse effects to your playthrough. I thought I overpaid, which, you know, three days of early access and probably DLC that I could have got for 10 bucks, which hilariously surprising they're trying to sell for 30 bucks Canadian that is so I mean hats off to Green Man Gaming I got the deluxe edition for 67 bucks uh, and I have no regret pre-ordering 
aside from the fact that they probably went for over-polished versus uh, immensely vast scope of the Harry Potter world. Uh, I'm just sitting here trying to think. I'm pretty sure I covered off most of the materials that I saw in reviews about Hogwarts Legacy. It's, again, I'll kind of just reiterate, it's definitely not kind of Skyrim level of insane depth, but I think I understand why it's so appealing. I think we were due for a casual, friendly, open-world RPG that kind of just nails faithfully accurate representations of the Harry Potter universe. Uh, I do feel like, even on hard, that I'm steamrolling through the game, so it's probably going to be low on my replay list, uh, but I can't wait until I'm further into the game and uh, do right by the school. And, uh, Vada Kredabra, everyone. <laughs> as soon as I unlocked the talents, uh, I went, like, straight into Dark Arts. Uh, but I'll, I'll probably leave it at that. I'm pretty sure I have about 30-40% to 40 of the main story left, uh, and I've kind of made myself a, uh, a purity save, just in case I want to go back and, I don't know, not become an evil wizard. The only word of caution I think I'll pass along, which I hope I'm wrong on, uh, is talent points. People are saying the level cap is 40, which means if you can only get to 40 skill points, uh, you can't take every talent skill. I mean, it's not the end of the world, and there are definitely some easy ones that you can skip on that are probably more convenience than mechanic changing, but it's kind of just like hard to leave out one aspect of the game if you really want those conveniences. So I guess we'll have to see. So that's Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, I do hope there's more of an expansion to this game than just kind of like crappy paid DLC and costumes and stuff. Uh, they have been doing Twitch integration, which, I don't know, it, I'm sure this is the way that you catch interest by paying streamers who can pull hundreds of thousands of people to their stream. I do hope that they come with more content, DLC, and not just kind of like these side areas. Maybe like, like a true expansion to fill in some of the gaps that I see, but who knows. I've, I've basically just been playing it non-stop. It's definitely a game that's held my interest more than others, if that's any consolation to anyone listening. I know I kind of talk lightly about some of the games that I played that's like, oh yeah, this was fun, I'm having a great time, and then six hours later, it's, it's uninstalled. I bought a uh, second game while I was waiting for Hogwarts Legacy to come out, uh, and that was Dying Light 2. For those of you who don't remember the launch of Dying Light 2, it kind of launched to a resounding meh across the world, so it sadly went into my list of Steam Sale fodder purchases, uh, but I was able to pick it up for 34 bucks Canadian thanks to a bundle with Project Zomboid making it $6 cheaper than the uh, first anniversary sale price. It does feel like it's a game that's better played with friends, uh, and honestly I was playing it the right way until I found out that I could just play it the wrong way and go into dark zones during the day when all the mobs are bunched together and see who likes the feeling of Molotov cocktails the most. I feel like talking about Dying Light at the same time as playing Hogwarts Legacy kind of balances out the adult in me. I feel like Hogwarts Legacy was like a children's cartoon game. I mean, I guess it was a children's book, just the movie adaptations kind of like grew with you. I'm hoping Hogwarts Legacy 2 goes straight 
straight to the end of the series. So, let's round out the episode with some wish list indies. Steam is holding a new NextFest, uh, and you can try out some of the new indie games. Uh, I only picked out three of the list. I'm sure there's probably some hidden gems, but the first game I tried was Wandering Sword. Its attractiveness comes from kind of Octopath Traveler 2.5D visuals with overhauled lighting, uh, but instead of kind of plain turn-based RPG, they turned it into a full uh, square grid tactical strategy uh, and has a skill system that kind of looks like it's shaping up to be a pretty solid title. Uh, I played it a bit. I wouldn't say it was anything over the moon, but hey, indie titles got to get some rep. Second title I tried all too briefly was a demo for Shadow of Doubt. I picked it up by mistake, thinking it was a point-and-click adventure game. Uh, instead, it turned out to be Minecraft kind of block graphic sandbox game, uh, where you are a detective, and as a detective, you have to be a responsible adult and take on jobs to make money. Uh, you do have to track down suspects and look for murderers. Uh, you embrace stealth, and for some reason you have to hand out knuckle sandwiches to half the people that you meet. While the dialogue was kind of a bit bleh to me, and Minecraft graphics don't really age well for me, I do kind of want to see how the rest of the game sizes up. Last game on my list for Next Fest is Dark and Darker, uh, which seems like it has a lot of potential for co-op dungeoning. Co-op was probably like the biggest attraction. Uh, they keep launching alphas, and from the looks of it and everyone's responses, the alphas are far too short, uh, and people are really enjoying the game. Uh, I'm hoping to rope in at least a few friends when this game launches. Looking forward at the end of February and maybe into March, uh, I know Returnal comes out for PC this week. Uh, that game looks amazing, and I can't imagine how it would ever run on a PS5, but here we are. Uh, another game coming out this week is Wild Hearts. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, it's a Monster Hunter-style game that tends to go a bit harder on the JRPG look. Uh, and honestly, if Hogwarts didn't have all my attention, I think either of those would be the next game up to bat. Next week, we can see that Atomic Heart is coming out, uh, and it's also going to be a day one release on Game Pass, so I'm definitely willing to give that a shot. Uh, and then the week after, Octopath Traveler 2 comes out. It came... Just judging from the fact that Octopath 1 came out on Game Pass, I'm kind of waiting to see if they do bring Octopath Traveler 2 to Game Pass at some point, but we'll see. Just kind of looking at my list of what overlaps with new releases and Game Pass, uh, Wolong Fallen Dynasty is on Game Pass, which I'm pretty sure I'm going to give it a try. Uh, it just looks super fun. Uh, and then at the end of the month, oh, I see uh, Resident Evil 4 remake. I, I love that game so much that I'm probably just going to have to pity buy it, uh, mostly for the fact that I don't want to replay the game on GameCube or PS2. I think that was the last Resident Evil game that like I truly enjoyed. Resident Evil 5 wasn't bad, but it definitely wasn't the best game. And then RRE6 was kind of like a bro-fest, bro-down kind of game. And then after that point, they realized that the the uh, bro-fest action genre is not what makes Resident Evil fun. Actually, I think at that point they started doing like all those uh, spin-off series like 
uh, revelations and and all that. And then, of course, we got Resident Evil 7, which kind of went back to being a spooky game. I don't know what else catches my interest on this list that I'm looking at. I guess The Last of Us comes out for PC, but I played that game on PS4. Uh, and probably for that reason, I'll probably skip it unless it comes on a, a really big sale. It's, it's a super fun game. I don't know how much graphics would add to my enjoyment of that game. It definitely is a title that I haven't picked up since I beat it the first time. And that, I think, is going to round out my list of games that I'm looking at for the month. Uh, obviously, as soon as I'm done saying this, I'm going to go back and play Harry Potter because I'm confident I'm going to get a good 40 to 50 hours out of this game just going back and trying to do all the uh, arenas, like the Dark Arts arenas. Uh, there's other arenas hidden around the game that you find by smashing pots. Uh, it's really cool. I'm, I'm having a good time, and as simplistic and as casual as I complain the game is, well, maybe I am just more simplistic and casual than I thought I am. But at any rate, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, Valentine's Day is just a couple days away, so make sure you're paying attention to that special one in your life. My name is Dan. Have a good one.